following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Good morning, everybody. Welcome in for our Lord's Table service. While we're getting our seats and uh, getting ourselves organized, let's take our hymnals and turn to 315, please. 315. We'll sing two hymns right now and then one uh, just before we partake of the elements, uh, if the time permits. And then we will go uh, maybe have one at the end as well. Okay? We'll give you folks just another moment to come in. We, uh, I was reminded today I should ask, uh, this is not really relevant to our table service, but we did just finish getting the carpets cleaned, and uh, coffee still is appearing on the floor. So if you have a coffee, a spill-proof mug, fine, but if not, we'd ask you to keep it out there. So we reduce the chances of uh, further work for us. So, Hey, welcome, brother. Good to see you. Tim, good to see you as well. Back in your spot there, huh? Ah, you've got the open coffee, that's why, right? (laughs) All right, let's pray and then we'll sing. Father in heaven, we are grateful to you for the privilege we have to come and to share around the Lord's table this morning. Help us as we think on a particular aspect of this uh, topic of the table. And uh, as we sing, help us to sing out for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 315 this morning as we begin to spend a few moments to examine our hearts and participate at the table of the Lord. 315, the holy heart, if you take your hymnals, please. pages back, 297 we'll sing, and then we'll come to the message, 297. Are you washed in the blood? Glad for that always on cleansing for sin that our Lord offers to us, 297. 
verse, not are you, but what? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. We've got to kind of shorten that I am to get the syllables right, I guess, right? But try to sing that a couple times in the chorus and express that confidence in the Lord. Verse 4, For that singing this morning, we can set those hymnals aside. I'd like to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you would, please. 1 Corinthians and the 11th chapter. Just one verse there, and then a couple of other verses in the Gospels. First Corinthians chapter 11. There are two segments of Scripture actually share one from here and two that are parallel passages in the Gospels, but two basic sections of Scripture that indicate something about the termination point of the Lord's table. And hopefully that will become apparent to you why I've selected to speak about that and what that will do in terms of reminding us of the importance of the table. The first is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26, where the Bible says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Speaking of a termination point of the Lord's table celebration or ordinance. And then in Matthew chapter 26, we have another, Matthew 26. It says in verse number 29, I still hear pages turning, so I'm waiting. (laughs) Okay, Matthew chapter 26 and 29. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And uh, the same is in Mark chapter 14, don't turn there. And then uh, a similar one is in Luke 22:18. and I'll save you the time from turning there as well. The Lord says in that same portion of history, in that same Last Supper, he says, For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Until the kingdom of God comes. There's something there about the coming of the kingdom that we could possibly look at, but I will restrain myself from doing that this morning. As you know, that's one of my favorite topics. But um, we're looking at the passage and the idea of until he comes or until that day or until the kingdom of God comes. Something is going to change when the Lord returns and that kingdom begins to unfold. The operative phrases in these verses are introduced by the little word until, until. The ones in the gospel in Matthew and Luke and Mark all use this little word, it's three letters in Greek called heos, which points to the end of a period of time. The period of time is the present, 
when the Lord is not partaking of the Lord's table, or not the table of the Lord really, but of the fruit of the vine is how he says it, as he introduces the Lord's table to the disciples. And that period will end when the kingdom of God comes on earth and Jesus will once again dine and partake of wine with his disciples. He's going to drink that new again with his disciples then. But until then, he's not doing that. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, a different word is used, but it's very similar in meaning. It's the word akri, which refers to an extent of time up to a point, very similar to heos, and is translated in English very much the same, but here it refers to a present, the present time in which we are partaking of something. So the first case, the Lord is not going to do something until the kingdom comes. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the text is saying, we are eating and drinking and proclaiming the Lord's death right now until he comes. So we're doing something until he comes. He's not doing something until he comes. Similar ideas, but referring one to the Lord's activity, the other to our activity. Either way you look at it, the Bible is telling us that something is going to change about the communion ritual when the Lord's return, when the Lord does return. Right now, what are we doing in this table? Well, we're doing several things, but one that's mentioned in this section is that we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We're proclaiming the Lord's death. If somebody's watching online or somebody's visiting here today that does not know the Lord, there will be enough information here for you to learn what the gospel is and learn why Jesus died and why it is that we're partaking of a religious ritual in which we're proclaiming his death and what's so special about that. But when we're proclaiming the Lord's death today, that's necessarily going to change when he returns. And the Lord is not partaking of the fruit of the vine now, but he will after his return. I don't know if you ever sat and imagined like I was doing a little bit this week with this idea. What is it going to look like? What is church life going to look like when Jesus is here? Is that kind of a strange thing to think about? What's it going to be like? I'm not talking about heaven yet. On this earth, during the kingdom, when the kingdom of God comes, what is that going to look like? I mean, uh, how do we proclaim the Lord's death when he's there, alive, before humanity's eyes, after his second coming? You do believe that that's really going to happen, right? It's not just a theoretical thing out there that we say we believe, but we don't really believe. No, he really is going to come back. And we think, how is that? Yeah, thank, thank the Lord, right? Yeah. How's that going to look? That's kind of strange to think about. Um, what are we gonna, how are we going to be proclaiming his death when he's there alive? Well, anyway, let's think about for a second, what does the ritual mean today? What we do here, which is not merely a ritual, but I just use that word as to, you know, it's a sequence of events that we go through. First of all, the bread, which is unleavened, represents the sinless body of Christ. And so we have two, in our case, two containers of broken matzah bread, 
uh, in pieces, ready to be distributed, representing the sinless body of Christ. 1 Peter 1.19 says that he was offered as a lamb without spot, with no stain of sin at all. So the bread represents the sinless body of Christ. The bread is broken, representing that the body of Jesus was broken for us. Think of it. Ultimately resulting in his death. His body was so broken. The Bible tells us that he died for our sins. Our sins broke him, as it were. He was beaten and abused sorely, scorned, nailed to a cross, hung there and died. His body was battered. Then you have the cup, new wine, which represents, of course, the blood of Jesus. And we have already distributed the new wine, as it were, the grape juice, into individual cups for you to participate in for convenience and, need I say, hygiene or whatever you want to say, sanitary distribution. But that represents the the blood of Jesus that was poured out. When, when your blood is all poured out, you're done. Your life is over. It's gone. There's nothing more to sustain. No, no nutrition, no oxygen, no other things that are needful for the body, and, and it just shuts down. Since the life is lost, when the blood is gone, this is a fitting way of expressing that Jesus died for our sins. His shed blood... He shed his blood for my soul. He shed his blood for your soul. And without the shedding of blood, finish it in your mind, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness of sins. Um, Martyrs shed their blood. Stephen shed his blood. But Jesus did in a, a way that was not like those. I had a reference in Acts chapter 22. Yeah, it says in Acts 22, 20, when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, Paul says, I was also standing by consenting to his death, guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. So the blood of the martyrs was shed. But here the blood of Jesus was shed, and without that there's no remission. Hebrews 9, 22 makes that very clear. So we have the bread, we have the broken bread, we have the cup, which represents the blood of Christ poured out for our sins. And then when we partake of these, we we eat and drink, and there are two senses in which I want you to think of this eating and drinking. One is individually, first of all, representing when we eat and drink individually, you know, myself, yourself, we're representing that we individually are participating in Christ by faith. He has washed us from our iniquities, cleansed us from every sin. We are picturing by drinking that we have drunk into Christ. We're We're picturing by eating that we have partaken of Jesus Christ, something like what it talks about in John chapter 6. Remember John chapter 6, unless you... Eat my flesh and drink my blood. You have no life in you. By this, he indicated, really, 
what he means is, unless you believe in me, you will not have everlasting life. Eating and drinking is believing. It's, it's how it's taking it in. It's, it's more than just thinking. You know, it's more than just mental acknowledgement. It's partaking of Christ. It's taking him in. True belief is. So drinking into and eating Christ are pictures for taking part, being a member of Jesus Christ and his body. So that's the elements, that's eating individually, but the fact is also that we partake corporately. We partake together. And that represents the church congregation's mutual participation in Christ. That represents our unity together. You, you, know, you know why we don't do this at home by ourselves, right? Because this is a gathered ministry of the church by which we're not only saying, you know, I'm in Christ, but we're saying we together share this profession and this reality and this new life in him. We mutually participate in him. That's why it's so that's why the church gathers. That's why the church is together. That's why the church is a family. We participate together in these things. In summary, the Lord's table event is a live illustration of the fact that Jesus died for our sins. A live illustration of the fact that he died for our sins and further that we participate in him. Okay? I think it's profitable for us to think about these things so that we know why we're doing what we're doing. You know, when somebody says to you, why do you participate at the Lord's table? What are you doing there? Well, we eat a cracker and we drink a little thing of juice. Don't tell them that. I mean, you can tell them that, but tell them why you do that. What do those symbols represent? And the fact is that we do that to show that we believe in Christ, and we do that to show that we together believe in Christ. And we are sharing in unity in that same teaching and that same doctrine. And we're going to be doing this all the way until the Lord Jesus returns. Until I come, he says. Until he comes in 26. And he won't participate of the fruit of the vine until he does so in the kingdom of God. Um, Presently, Jesus is not participating with us in the fellowship meal. And he will not do so until he comes and inaugurates the kingdom on earth. Now, that's what's happening today. That's what we're doing right now. We're participating until he comes. But what will happen in that future day? We began to think about that a moment ago, didn't we? The termination point of the present Lord's table is when the Lord returns. Now, it's our conviction that this return will occur in two stages, the rapture followed by the second coming itself shortly thereafter, just a few years later. But regardless of that detail, Jesus promised that he would return and gather his people together with him. You remember the disciples looking up when the angels said, hey, why are you doing that? The same Jesus that you saw go up is going to come back down. Same one. John 14, 3, if I go away to prepare, I will come back and receive you to myself. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel and the trump of God, and he will raise up those that are dead, 
catch us up together with them in the clouds, and so we will be together with the Lord and them forever after that point. As a result, we eagerly await his arrival. Even a church such as Corinth, back in chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul says this. He says, The testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come short in no gift. And look at what they were doing. Eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, waiting for him to return as we should be these days. In Titus 2.13, we're looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we also look for his arrival, not only with eager anticipation, but with a deep respect. Think about it. We do not want to be ashamed before him when he returns. He is coming. And he's going to come and at some point partake of some kind of new form of this meal. We'll look at an example in just a second. We want to be pure. He who has this hope in himself purifies himself, 1 John 3 says. When he comes, Revelation 1 says, every eye will see him. And it will be, uh, according to Zechariah chapter 12, it will be a cause of great mourning among some people. They will look upon him whom they pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. So not not only are we looking eagerly forward to the Lord's return, but we look with some sense of trepidation. We don't want to be ashamed. We want to be pure. We know that some are going to see him as he is and realize at the last minute, the last second, that... This is the one that they pierced. And at that time, when he returns, there'll be something different about the meal that he shares with his people because he himself need not remember his own work on the cross. What we're doing here is we're remembering that he died for us, but he himself does not need that. Uh, He does not need to symbolize his own participation in it. His participation is somehow going to be different. It's kind of like when I'm thinking about the ordinance of baptism. When we're baptized, we're not baptized exactly like Jesus was. I mean, he's that unique person that you can't, he's like a singularity. You know what I mean? Like a single case, special case. We are baptized into him. We confess that we're sinners and that we believe in Christ when we're baptized, but he didn't make that confession. He made, he made an, a, a, different, a somewhat different confession. He made the confession, basically, that he's saying, I am with the people that John the Baptist has baptized. He's baptizing unto repentance. I'm associated with that message as well in a different way because I don't need to repent. I'm the one that provides the way of repentance for them. But he fulfilled all righteousness that way. So his baptism is a little different than ours. His participation in the future at a table-like service will be different than ours is today. We do know about one particular fellowship meal that will occur. It's called the Wedding Supper of the Lamb. In Revelation 19, I'll just read a couple of verses that talk about this. Revelation 19 And verse number 7 says this, 
Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. We expect then that the Lord will drink it new with the disciples in that day. Now, nothing is stated in Scripture as to a replacement or adjustment to the practice of communion after the Lord returns, except for this distinction that we've made here this morning. But I would surmise that it will be less necessary to proclaim the Lord's death when he returns, not only because he's there present, alive, but also because in Jeremiah and the New Covenant texts in the Old Testament, it promises that they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. And they will, never, they will not anymore teach every man know the Lord because they all will know him. They will be informed by the people of God. They will be seeing him in person in Jerusalem. New information will doubtlessly be revealed by Christ as he will be present on the earth once again and as he directs a new order of things. So basically what I'm saying is we kind of have to wait to see just how it's going to work out. We might have sanctified imagination about how it's going to look, but we don't, we don't know for sure. We've thought about the future here until the Lord comes, until the kingdom of God, and he drinks it new in that kingdom. But we're not there yet. We're in the present. And in the present, we're told to continue to observe the Lord's table, to proclaim the Lord's death for us. And we do that with bread and with juice as a tangible reminder of the tremendous work that he did for us. And so we just give, just end with that simple reminder this morning that he died for our sins. I want to welcome our youngest back into uh, our time here so they can observe us partake of the Lord's table. I'd like to have us close with hymn 301 as we reflect in preparation for the table. I encourage you, if you're like me, you have sinned a few sins this week. You examine yourself and so partake of the bread and of the cup with repentance in your heart, with confession, with thanksgiving to the Lord. And let's think as we approach the table. 301, Wounded for Me, a real song of contemplation. All together.
Let's just take a quiet moment as I invite uh, our men to come forward to help us serve the table elements. We're just going to take that moment as they come, and we're going to bid uh, good morning for now for those that are online, and uh, we'll uh, come back here at about quarter till the hour for our next service. Thank you. <laughs> 